the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hour number two, Bruce Hooley Show. Thank you for joining on 98.9 The Answer in Columbus, 94.5 in Dayton. Uh, still no arrest of Donald Trump, even though he said it would happen today. It has not happened yet today. But if it does, we will let you know. Um, the whole Ukraine-Russia thing continues to bubble and gurgle and threaten to boil over. The latest incident, remember the shooting down or the bringing down or the falling down or the dropping down into the Baltic Sea of a $32 million U.S. military drone, which was hit by a Russian fighter jet, which I think was, if if that was purposeful, if the Russian fighter jet is good enough to, at that speed, gauge how much room it has between it and a, and a drone and just barely ding the propeller of the drone, I mean, that could have been... An epic disaster. Imagine if the Russian jet had, like the drone, been damaged to the point that it had dropped into the Baltic Sea. And we would have had a drone and a Russian jet crashing into the Baltic Sea. How would that have been portrayed? You know Russia would have blamed us. We would have blamed Russia. We presume that our government would always tell us the truth. But the more that we have these kinds of highly charged, high-speed, high-testosterone kinds of incidents, Uh, the greater the danger that something could result from one of these incidents. And we had another one on Monday. Russia said its fighter jets intercepted two U.S. B-52 bombers over the Baltic Sea, which it viewed as a provocation. And, of course, it would in the immediate aftermath of the drone incident. So because there were two U.S. B-52 bombers in that area, Russia scrambled one of its jet fighters toward the U.S. planes, which then peeled off and headed back to where they came from. Now, the Russian Defense Ministry released these details, which, of course, I think we still view Russia and everything they say is not true. But they did release video of it. Can video be phonied up? Yeah, I suppose. But again, this kind of stuff, this is not This is not going to continue to happen forever without there being something that could be magnified into a must-respond incident. What have we done for the drone thing? Do we know? Are we still flying drones? I presume we are. But... That's just gone away. And every time something like this happens, and we suffered the loss in the other incident, we suffered the loss of a $32 million military aircraft. And if we don't do anything about it, well, why would Russia stop? And of course, while this was happening yesterday, Chinese President Xi Jinping was in Moscow meeting with Vladimir Putin. 
Now, I don't have any special insight on what's going on here, but what is pretty obvious is that China is positioning itself to appear like a peacemaker. Do I believe they are a peacemaker? No, I don't. I don't believe they're a peacemaker at all, unless it suits their interests. So why would Xi Jinping go to meet with Vladimir Putin? Well, the, unquestionably, the two of them have one thing in common, is that they both want the United States of America to descend on the world stage. And just like politics makes strange bedfellows, so can a shared enemy like the U.S. make strange bedfellows between China and Russia. Will they always get along amicably? I don't think there's any chance of that. But will they put off whatever conflicts they may have until another day and team up to disparage us? I certainly don't think that's outside the realm of possibility. Do you? These are questions that prompted Peter Ducey yesterday to ask John Kirby, spoke stooge for the White House, about Joe Biden sitting back and allowing Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin to at least pose as meeting around the idea of formulating a peace between Russia and Ukraine. I wanted him to look me in the eye. Up, oh, wrong cut. My Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. I'm in the wrong spot. That was Trump's attorney. Here is Peter Ducey and John Kirby at the White House. It seems like this, uh, these two superpowers are teaming up now against the U.S. Why did President Biden let this happen? Peter, these are two countries that have long chafed, as I said to Jeff, long chafed uh, at U.S. leadership around the world uh, and uh, and the network of alliances and partnerships that we have. This is not this is not something that uh, these two countries just cooked up since President Biden got elected. But, but it is he, something that they have been since trying he's been to, president. He has talked tough. He tried to pressure Putin and Xi uh, to act right or risk their standing on the world stage. Does he see now that they don't care? I think if you ask a lot of Russians, they certainly care. I mean, this, their economy is, is uh, barely being propped up by some pretty radical measures by, by Mr. Putin. Their military has uh, been uh, roundly embarrassed inside Ukraine, um, and they continue to lose uh, uh, ground there. Um, and as for China, again, take a look at the way the president has really revitalized and restored alliances and partnerships that were let go, if not ridiculed, in the previous administration. We have prioritized them, and there's no other nation around the world that has this alliance and partnership network that we do. Oh, big deal. You see what John Kirby's doing there? He's not answering the question at all, as it was asked. What is Joe Biden doing about the fact that Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin are meeting, taking on the appearance of trying to barter some kind of a peace over Russia and Ukraine, while Joe Biden has talked tough toward both of them, and neither one of them appears to be the least bit scared. And John Kirby is like, well, you know, we have alliances here and there. and rah, rah, rah. He didn't answer the question at all. Remember when Joe Biden said, oh, wait till, you, wait till Putin gets a load. Wait till the Putin economy gets a load of the sanctions we put on him. Wait till he gets a load of that. Oh, it'll bring him to their knees. They'll have nothing left. Really? The fact of the matter is the Russian economy is better off now than it was when we put the sanctions on him because... China and Russia have formed this alliance. They found a willing buyer for all their oil that they were selling to Europe. 
oh, it feels like they're playing chess while we're playing checkers. Remember when Biden said, they have nobody to sell their oil to. Oh, yeah? Really? Xi Jinping's buying it. Now, it's not my job nor my expertise to see these geopolitical consequences in advance, but it's somebody in the State Department's job. It's somebody in the Secretary of State's office. It's somebody in the President's office. It's somebody somewhere in government who should know, oh, what are we going to do to keep China from backstopping backstopping Russia when we cut off Russia's oil markets in Europe? Gee, I hadn't thought of that. No, it doesn't appear that anyone there thought of that. So the whole idea behind the sanctions was, well, we'll squeeze down their economy. They won't have money to fund their war effort. And how many times have we heard they're running out of soldiers? They're running out of military equipment. Well, they keep fighting. And it seems like whenever it looks like, oh, Ukraine's going to win, bam, Russia takes back territory. It looks bad when we just, and we just yesterday sent another $350 million to the Ukraine. It looks bad when we just continue to fund this war and we continue to pony up more and more and more money, further and further and further deplete our military arsenals, our weapon stock. Is it entirely possible that China might be funding Russia in order to take away from our reserves so that when the day comes, not if the day comes, when the day comes, when the day comes, that China decides to finally move on Taiwan? Oh, man, we could sure use all those missiles and all those rocket launchers and all those other things that we devoted to Ukraine. We could sure use those in Taiwan. I don't claim to be a military expert or even anything close. But I do know that fighting a two-front war is not an ideal scenario. And if we're engaged in Ukraine, whether it's just sending aid or funding them or whatever, and we have to beat back some kind of an invasion in Taiwan, we're not going to be doing that from a position of strength like we could be. That worries me long-term. It worries me long-term because I don't think our president is capable, (laughs) the words ring in my ear, of the former White House official who said that every foreign policy Joe Biden, every foreign policy decision Joe Biden has made over the last 50 years has been wrong. Those words ring in my ear. While I contemplate, if it's even true, that Joe Biden is the one making decisions about Ukraine and about Taiwan, Those words ring in my head that he's been wrong every single time. Well, maybe he's overdue. Maybe he's bound to get one right by luck of the draw. Yeah, that's not a very comforting thought to rest upon. Now, there's been a lot of talk on this show and other shows about wokeness in our culture. What is it? Could you define it if you had to? You'll be able to after our next segment. So one of the goals of this show is to educate you, equip you, empower you, enable you to deal with people you encounter in daily conversations who don't think like you. We want to equip you to win with truth. We want to have conversations with you here and prepare you for the conversations you'll have with people who don't think like you because we believe strongly that we 
have truth on our side. People who do not have truth on their side choose to win arguments by lying, but they are undone by truthful, eloquent, well-worded phrases that capture the decisions and information that is out there now that is seriously flawed, whether it comes to gender discussions or education discussions or border discussions or whatever the discussion is. We think we're in a truth position. One of the smartest people out there running for president is Vivek Ramaswamy. Now, I don't think Vivek Ramaswamy has a chance to be president of the United States at age 37, but I think he is a valuable participant in the process because if he can get on stage in a debate, I think he can help bring to the forefront subject matters and ways of discussing those subjects that will force all the candidates in the field to be better. But he can force us all to be better by articulating things that it would do well for us to ingrain and become second nature, such as this discussion about wokeness. Now, woke is a word that has exploded in our culture to describe a bunch of flawed ideas on the left, whether it's anti-racism or defunding police or gender-affirming surgery or open borders or whatever, all these ideas fall under the umbrella of if you support them, you're woke. If you don't support them, you are anti-woke. And woke is a commentary on you're like, awaken, you're enlightened. Well, but you're not really enlightened. You're just operating from a position of ignorance. And so the way that conservatives have labeled this to disparage it, to discredit it, is to say that it's not awakened, it's not enlightened, it's woke. But what does it mean when you say someone is woke? I said yesterday it means that those who are woke are trying to force your compliance with what they believe. My definition, I think, is a good definition. I think Vivek Ramaswamy's definition is a good definition. I don't care if you take mine. I don't care if you take his. But I think his is worth listening to. The new popular talking point on the American left is that conservatives don't know how to define the word woke. Well, let me give them what they asked for. You want to know what it means to be woke? It means you believe that your identity is based on your race, your gender, and your sexual orientation, and that there's an invisible power structure in the laws of nature that say that if you're white, you're straight, and you're cis, and you're male, then you're at the top of that hierarchy. And if you aren't one of those things, then you're on the bottom of that hierarchy. That there's an invisible relationship between those oppressors and those who they oppress. And that's how human relationships work. That's what it means to be woke. Further, it means you also believe that you need to correct for that hierarchy, that you need to solve it by using any means necessary, not just political power, but economic power and cultural power to correct for those invisible societal injustices. That's not just my definition. That's the definition used by people who were proponents of the woke movement just a decade ago. Yeah, he's absolutely right. That's the Ibram Kendi definition. That's the ta Coates definition, the Robin D'Angelo definition that 
oh, you're born white, you're a white male, you're a heterosexual white male. Oh, well, you have advantages that a black person could never have, a Hispanic person could never have, an Asian person could never have. And since you have those advantages, you say, wait a minute, I'm making like $35,000 a year. What do you mean? Well, it doesn't matter. You have advantages that even Oprah doesn't have. Oprah's a billionaire. No, but still, you're an oppressor and Oprah is oppressed. That, of course, is a lunatic's position, but it is the position of many on the left. And Vivek Ramaswamy does a nice job of telling you exactly why that is a flawed ideology. Here's my problem with the woke movement. All right, it began as a challenge to the system in some liberal arts academy somewhere. I'm fine with that. Anyone can have an idea. But what became as a challenge, what began as a challenge to the system actually became the new system in America. And what that's done is it's first rejected this idea of the individual having a sense of agency in their own lives. It says that if you're black, you're inherently disadvantaged, that if you're white, you're inherently privileged. No matter your economic background or your upbringing, your race and your gender and your sexual orientation determine who you are and what you can achieve in life and even what you're allowed to think. This is un-American. The second problem with it is that that then creates a new culture of fear in our country. You don't know how that works? Congresswoman Ayanna Presley famously summed it up when she said, we don't want any more black faces that don't want to be a black voice. We don't want any more brown faces that don't want to be a brown voice. Think about that for a second. It says that your race has not to do with your skin color anymore, but with your ideas, your viewpoints. And when that happens, it means any disagreement with those ideas automatically makes you a racist. And there is no greater damnation in modern America than to be called a racist. So when given that choice versus bending the knee to this new secular cult, Everyday Americans are choosing to bend the knee. And that culture of fear is what's completely replaced our culture of free speech in America. That is so well said. Is that not what you see on college campuses when a federal judge appears before a law school class at Stanford University and is berated by the student body that his racism is evident by his presence? His racism is evident by his presence. Why? Because he's a white male? He has to be a racist? This prevailing thought on the left removes all individual agency, as he said, all individual responsibility and accountability. That you are not a person who has the ability to think independently, think clearly. And it goes the other way, too. Remember Joe Biden saying, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. You have to, if you want to authenticate the fact that you're really black, you will vote for me because no black person could ever vote for a Republican. I'm Joe Biden. I'm a Democrat. If you are really black, you will really vote for me. You will only vote for me. Vivek Ramaswamy, smart, articulate, memorable. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.